We are going to dive into our message today. Now, Cord gave me the green light, which is an exciting thing, right? It means I can preach on whatever I want to preach on, but it's also an intimidating thing, right? It's like, man, there's no series, there's no passage, like I'm just going to go with, with whatever I want. What do I want? And so I was thinking and I was like, what do I want to bring to the last youth takeover? Really, better question. What does God want to bring to the last youth takeovers? I'm just a vessel. And so as I was thinking, I realized that over the year I had collected a lot of things that I wanted to remember, right? I would hear a good quote and I would write it down. I would hear a good sermon and I would write down the main point. And through the whole year, God has taught me so much this year, right? Through highs, through lows, through good times, through bad times. Um, I just feel like this was, was such a learning year for me when it comes to my faith in God and everything. And so my sermon title for tonight is What I Learned This Year. I want to share some of the things that God shared with me this year. Maybe you already know it and it's just an awesome reminder. Uh, maybe it can speak to you like it spoke to me. And so I'm going to show you guys, I'm going to tell you guys a couple of things that I learned this year. Um, now, before we get into the, the spiritual side of things, all right, there was also some things I learned, um, you know, just through life that weren't necessarily as deep, but they were good to know. Number one, I learned that as I approach 30 years old in just a couple months, I now have this new exciting ability to just wake up with a new injury. That's cool, right? Didn't know that that, that was a thing, uh, but it is now, so I learned that. Um, I learned... That when the students ask me to be in their TikToks, it's not actually because I'm a good dancer, but it's actually because they think I'm, as they say, cringy. Yeet. I don't get it, though. But uh, that's, that's what they say. And finally, I learned that when my wife, when I say to my wife, yeah, I'll try to do the dishes later tonight. What I actually did was just locked myself into a blood oath to do the dishes before bed or sleep on the couch. I didn't realize that's how it worked, but I do now, right? And so I'm just, I'm learning so much. But more importantly than those things, God has taught me a lot of, uh, of really impactful things in my life. And I was like, man, he's taught me so many things this year. Like, what do I bring? And so I've got, I've got three big ones and I've got a couple of honorable mentions, nuggets of wisdom, if you will, okay? So we're going to pop open this little pack of nugs, and we're going to just rapid fire a couple real quick, all right? Number one, I heard this guy who was leading worship, he kept saying over and over, I've got nothing good but Jesus, right? He was Irish. I wish I could do an Irish accent, but I can't, and I hate that about myself every day. But he said it, and it sounded so much cooler than what I'm saying. He said, I've got nothing good but Jesus, Right? And I started thinking about that. I'm like, man, nothing good. I've got a lot of things good in my life. That doesn't really make sense. But man, when he explained it, it's like when God is the standard, when Jesus is the standard of good in your life, then nothing else even measures up, right? It's a statement of humility showing that nothing you could do or bring to the table reaches the level of Jesus. And that's how much we need him. And I love that so much. And so I just remind myself, I've got nothing good but Jesus. I haven't earned anything. I don't deserve anything because the only thing that is worth anything in me is Christ. And it's just such a good reminder for me this year. Number two, same guy actually. He said, uh, he brought up the passage where it talks about presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I've heard it many times and I've heard it explained many ways. But he brought it to the realm of worship. Right. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice while you're worshiping. And uh, one of our, our four speakers this past year, Mr. Anthony Hines, he does a great job. He he talked about the power of poses. 
right? And there was this really funny moment. He had everybody hold their hands up and he said, now, how do you feel? And it was supposed to be like powerful because they're like standing like this, right? And one of the kids in the back goes, embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That is fair. But he talks about how there's power in our poses. When you stand more confident, you feel more confident, right? You look good, you feel good. Ladies, you know what I'm saying, right? But the thing is, it's true. And it's true in worship as well. Because when we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice in worship, what does that look like? That maybe looks like it's Sunday morning and you argued all the way to church, right? And then you get there and the worship music starts and you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm really in the mood to sing right now. This is great. I can't wait till I can sit down and eat my muffin, right? I've had those days. Absolutely. But maybe offering your body as a living sacrifice looks like even though you are not like feeling a spiritual high, Lifting a hand to God because he's still worthy. Saying, God, this is uncomfortable. I'm not there, but I'm going to sacrifice my comfortability because you are worthy of the praise. And I love that. I love that so much. Another quote from a speaker I heard over this past year said, my sin doesn't disqualify me from sharing the gospel. And I feel like that's one we know, but we need to hear over and over again, right? My sin doesn't disqualify me from sharing the gospel. Because what happens is we get in the word and we come back from church camp and we're fired up. We're like, yes, I just, I prayed for forgiveness. I'm clean. I'm white as snow. I'm good to share. And then we go home and we, we yell at somebody or make a bad decision or, or slip up in whatever sin we've been battling with. And all of a sudden we start to believe the lie. I can't share the gospel, Right. I mean, I can't even get my own life together. How am I supposed to tell somebody else about Jesus? But the thing is, our next quote goes hand in hand with it. You weren't qualified by your goodness, so you can't be disqualified by your sinfulness. I heard that this year and I loved it so much. You're not qualified by your goodness, and so you can't be disqualified by your sinfulness. Because the truth is that God uses the broken for his glory. And I love that so much. And finally, the last nugget, the last honorable mention that I want to bring up before we dive in is that never give up on restoration or transformation. Never give up on restoration and transformation because this year, God has shown me things that were amazing, right? Two people who were enemies, who had been enemies for a long time, right? All of a sudden, reconciling and serving side by side. You would have asked 10, 20 years ago, is, is this even a possibility? People would have laughed, and yet there they are, right? People who, who you would be like, oh, that person? Yeah, they're going to struggle their whole life, right? They're just kind of a bad egg. And then you see them at the altar with their hands raised, giving their life to Jesus. We see it in church. We saw it at camp. We saw it at CIY, all of our trips. We saw it in our youth group week after week. And so if you have that person that you're praying for, right, to come back to God or maybe to transform to that next level of where God wants them to be and it seems like a lost cause, I just wanna encourage you, don't give up. It might take days, weeks, months, years, but God is working and he never stops. So never give up on restoration or transformation. So those are just some little nuggets, some little appetizers, if you will. I hope you're hungry because we are about to dive in to the main course, all right? Three things that God has taught me this year. Number one, is God is working for his glory and my good. God is working for his glory and my good. Now, this is a saying that I'd heard a lot of times. This wasn't new to me this year, but how I understood it was new to me. All right, and, and this is tough for me to understand that God is working for his glory and my good. Because when I think of the things that glorify God, and if I'm being honest, I think of the things that I want, they're not always the same thing, right? 
I would like them to be. Often they are, but they're not always. Because the thing is, there's a lot of things that I do that I think are for my good that don't glorify God. Right? And sometimes God calls me to do something that's going to glorify Him that I don't think is for my good. And so I have a really hard time understanding how is God working both for His glory and my good. And in an attempt to better understand who God is, right? In an attempt to better understand a God who is beyond our understanding... What myself and many others do is we take a piece of his character. We just take a piece of it, a glimpse of it, one aspect. We latch onto it and we isolate it and we say, this is who God is. But see, that leaves us with a problem. That leaves us with an incomplete view of God, right? That's why even though it's intimidating sometimes, like doctrine and theology is so incredibly important to know who God really is. And so if we break it down, let's look at this one. God is working for his glory and our good. Let's find in scripture where it talks about both of those things and see if we can make sense of it. First, we have Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. And it says this, for my name's sake, this is the Lord talking, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? We see God is, is absolutely working for his glory, right? He will not be robbed of his glory. He is a jealous God. He is deserving of all glory and praise. And he will accept nothing less, right? We even see it commanded to us in 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. It says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So make no mistake, God is concerned with his glory. God will not be mocked. He will not be ridiculed. He will not be robbed of his glory. And so what we do is we take that. We're like, okay, I saw it. The Bible says that God is working for his glory. And then we isolate it, right? We say God is working and we add a little word only for his glory. And we start to build a theology around that. And the problem with that is when we start to think of God as as this one dimensional uh, character, right? That only has this one thing. He only works for his glory. That means that anything outside of his glory, he's not concerned with. And the truth of the matter is there's a lot of times where you and I, we don't, we don't bring God glory. So if I were to believe that God is only concerned with his glory and nothing else, then that means he's not concerned with my happiness, with my well-being, with my restoration, with my transformation. And that's a bit of a depressing stance to hold, right? That's a bit of a hopeless stance to hold because we could never measure up to the, to the glory of God, excuse me. And so what other people do is they'll look at the other side. Okay, well, what about my good? Is God concerned with my good, my well-being, my pleasure? Let's see. Romans eight twenty eight says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Right? So there it is right there. God is working all things for the good of those who love him. So we see right here that God is indeed concerned with our good. Right? There's also that passage that talks about if God, if God, you know, takes care of the sparrow. Right? If he watches over the sparrow and brings it food and clothing and all these things. Right? How much more does he love you? Right? The, the creation made after his own image. And so God is absolutely concerned with our good. But then we do the same thing, right? So many people will take it and be like, okay, what God wants is only, we like to add that little isolating word, is only my good. And now 
we've entered postmodern Christianity, right? We worship a God who is all condoning, right? We say, my Jesus is accepting of everything, right? My Jesus, and we'll add a little bit of truth, right? Loves me no matter what. And that's true. But God can love you and also not love what you're doing, right? Those two things are not exclusive. And so we paint this picture that if God is only for my good, then it doesn't matter what I do. All roads lead to heaven. I can live whatever kind of life I want. There's no boundaries. There's just love. And man, that sounds great. But that road leads to hell. And that road gets a lot of people. And so what do we do, right? How do we take this phrase? God is working for his glory in our good. In order to get a complete view of God's character, we have to marry these two truths. That God is working for both his glory and our good in a unifying, complementary way. Right? Because the things that are truly and eternally good for you and I, they glorify God. Right? And if there's something that you're like, no, this is really good for me, but it doesn't glorify God. Spoiler alert, it's not really good for you. Right? It might be good for your sinful wants and desires, but it's not good for your eternal state. It's not good for your soul. Right? And so this helps us. It guides us into what is acceptable and pleasing to God. It gives us hope in trials. Right? If we're ever like, man, I don't know if what I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing. Does it bring glory to God? If you can't bring glory to God through what you're doing, through what you're watching, through what you're listening to, then it's not good for you. Right? And also, if we're in a trial, right, we're in a hard time and it's like, God, it doesn't seem like you're for my good. It just seems like you're for your glory. You got to remember on the eternal scope, God's glory is our good and trust that he is working. Right. God is working for his glory and our good. That just stuck with me so much this year, gave me so much hope. Whenever it seemed like God didn't notice me, I would just say that to myself, God is working for his glory and my good, right? This season, even though it hurts, even though I don't understand it, it's going to glorify God and that's going to be good for me, right? It's just, it was so impactful for me and I hope it was for you. Number two, the second big thing that God taught me is prepare for the rain. And I'll explain. Prepare for the rain. Check this out. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says this. This is Jesus talking. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, most of us have heard this before. All right. Dare I would say maybe all of us have heard this before. Right. And most of us probably know this song. Right. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Most of us. Okay. If not, that was a sample. It was free. Okay. Now. We most of the time, we know what this is about, right? Okay, yes, building a firm foundation. Jesus wants it to be the rock. If we build our lives on him, right? When the storms come, when the rain falls, we're not going to crumble. If we build our lives on anything other than Jesus, the storm comes, the rain falls, the house on the sand went splat. That's how the song ends, right? And that's how your life could end if you don't build your uh, foundation on Jesus Christ. However, for the first time, I've heard this this verse I mean, hundreds of times. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in the church. I mean, over and over and over again. But it's a crazy feeling when something that you've heard or seen over and over and over again 
You see it for like the hundred and first time. And you pick something else up, right? You thought you knew it backwards and forwards. I certainly did. And all of a sudden, it had a new meaning, right? I was in the theater watching the new Chosen, which, spoiler alert, slaps. It's quite good, so you should go see it. And um, he, he goes through this verse, right? And I picked something up that God just like sprinkled a little sauce on so that I would taste it a little more this time. And I was like, oh, that's good, right? And that is, what is the common denominator in both houses, right? You got the guy who builds his house on the rock and you got the guy who builds his house on the sand. They're like polar opposites, right? One stands, one falls. There's not much in common except for one thing happens to both houses. The rain. The rain falls on the house of the man who built it on the rock. The rain falls on the house of the man who built it on the sand, And as we know, when Jesus is talking about rain, he's not talking about rain. He's talking about trials. He's talking about temptations. He's talking about attacks. He's talking about mistakes, depression, anxiety, sorrow, hurt. That's the rain. And there is one thing that is guaranteed in this life, and that is that the rain will fall. And a lot of times we struggle with that. We paint this picture in our mind that if I follow Jesus, if I read my Bible, if I go to church, I do all the things that I should do, then maybe God will keep the rain from falling, right? And that sounds good, but the reality of it is we are in a war, all right? We are soldiers in a war. And one thing that we can be sure of is that the rain will fall. If you follow Jesus, the rain will fall. If you don't follow Jesus, the rain will fall because Satan doesn't take a day off. No matter what you're standing on, the rain is coming. But, but here's what we do. Even though we know that's the case, we let the rain catch us by surprise, right? We live our lives believing that maybe nothing bad will happen to us, right? Because we're doing all the things, we're checking all the boxes. And then when something does, when the rain falls, right? When we make a mistake, when somebody hurts us, when we fall to temptation, whatever it is, we're so unprepared. And the rain comes down, right? And just absolutely wrecks us. Because we have not prepared for the rain, we have not prepared for the battle, it catches us completely off guard and it does so much damage. It rocks our faith. Right now we have questions, we have anger, we're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know. Why did this happen? Does God even love me? Like, I've been there. But here's what we should do. We know the rain's coming, no matter what. We know that a constant in our life is the rain will fall. Prepare for the rain. Recognize that we are soldiers in a spiritual war and that the rain is coming. And then bring an umbrella. You know what I'm saying? Like, be firm in the word. No, Satan is going to do everything he can to attack me. And so instead of, of living in fear of that attack and hoping it doesn't come, put on the full armor of God, right? Be ready for when he shows up and send him packing the way he came. Right? Know that every trial that comes will glorify God when he gets you through it and he will get you through it. Prepare for the rain. And all of a sudden, instead of being absolutely wrecked, you're even stronger with a testimony. And the thing that Satan meant for bad, God now uses for good. Prepare for the rain. That has been so impactful on me this year. And finally, number three. And this is the thing that's probably impacted me the most this year. Is it is okay to not be okay. How many of you guys have heard that before? Anybody? It's a pretty common saying, but man, did it come to life for me this year. Because this year, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, this year has been tough. 
We've had some things happen in student ministry. I've had some things happen in my life that I've just never had to experience before. Like I said, we, we had a student battle cancer and, uh, and not pull through, right? God took him home and that was hard, right? Some of my best friends lost a child and that was hard, right? There were some battles that I was not prepared for in my own life, in my marriage, all these things, right? And those were hard. There's little things on top of all that, just the stress of life and money and relationships and all these things. And they're hard, right? And when it rains, it pours. And this has been a year where man did it pour. And here's the thing. We know that when times get tough, what should we do, right? Church answer, run to Jesus. But that's right. We know that when times get tough, we run to Jesus. But here's where myself got it wrong. And I think a lot of you could probably relate because I thought that running to Jesus meant magically and instantly being okay. I thought that when things were coming at me, when the rain was coming down, all I had to do was go to that altar and pray and my problems were gone. And sometimes that works and that's amazing when God just snatches it up. Praise God when that happens. But that's not always the case. Sometimes you go to that altar and you pray and you cry and you ask God for relief and relief doesn't come. But God is still God. So what do you do? Right? I learned that it's okay not to be okay. And we see that in the word of God, right? Because if it's not in the word of God, I'm not interested in it. And so let's check this out. Second Samuel 12, 16 through 20. Before I read, I want to tell you what happened. All right. King David, right? He wants to get with Bathsheba. He wants her to be his new wife. Most of you have heard this story, but one little tiny problem. She's married, right? And so instead of being the man of God that he's supposed to be, He decides to take the low road, right? He's the king, he has a lot of power, and he has her husband murdered. That blood is on his hands, right? He then marries Bathsheba. They conceive a child. It seems like he got away with the heist of the century. And yet God saw it. And God sends a prophet to tell him that he was not off the hook, that he had not pulled it off, that he needed to be held accountable for his actions. And so God told him, because of what you've done, I'm going to take your firstborn son with Bathsheba. And man, David prayed and prayed and prayed, God, okay, I'm sorry, I repent. And David did repent, right? He saw the error of his ways and he prayed, God, please don't do this. Please, any other way, right? I know what I did was wrong, but I'm sorry. Give me another chance, like anything but this. And then this happened. It says, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do to himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood That the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. And then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Man, that is such a powerful story. And it says so much, but I want to point out what it didn't say. Notice that that didn't say, And David got up. And was perfectly fine. 
and had no anger and had no hurt, had no questions or doubts. He was just instantly absolutely okay. That's not in there because that's not how people work. David knew that he deserved that for his actions, but it didn't mean he was okay. His son just died and yet he worshiped. Man, so often we think, I thought, that if I had doubts and fears and questions and emotions, then I was failing as a Christian. And I wouldn't say that out loud, but I believed it, right? I believed that if I got mad at God, then I was against God and I was, I was not a Christian, not a follower. How could I be mad at my God? I believed that if I had doubts, if I had questions, if I wasn't so sure about things that I was sure about, then I had failed God. Then maybe he didn't want me anymore because my faith isn't strong. All of these thoughts raced around my head this year. And maybe some of you guys were there too, right? Because for the first time in my life this past year, my faith was shaking. And when I say shaking, I just want to clarify, there's a difference between shaking and breaking, right? When your faith breaks, that means you walk away, right? That means you decide, you know what? I don't want this anymore. Now, my faith didn't break because I knew God was still God. There were still things that I knew to be true. I still believed that God was who he said he was. I still believed that his holy word, the Bible, was absolutely true. That it's something to live your life by, right? All of the core things, I didn't question. There's just too much evidence in my mind and my research. But the thing that I started to question is God for me. And I talked about that a little before, right? Does God love me? I know he exists, I know he's real, I know he's the only way to heaven, but, but man, I prayed hard for these things and they didn't happen. Does God care? Does God hear me? Because it sure seems like he doesn't. And when you pray and pray and pray and something doesn't happen, you get mad. At least I get mad. And for the first time in my life, I was really mad at God. Not like, oh, I'm frustrated, but you know what? I'm sure you got a plan. It's all good, right? No, like I'm having it out. I'm yelling at God, right? I'm, I'm angry, I'm confused, I have questions, I have doubts. And all of those questions and doubts are just making me have more questions and doubts on if I can have questions and doubts. And it's this endless cycle. But guys, I want to share something with you. Now that I'm on the other side of it. I had doubts, I had fear, I had anger, I had questions. And you know what I found? God could handle it. God could absolutely handle my questions, right? Me questioning God... That didn't make him any less God. That didn't make him love me any less. Me being angry at God, God could take my anger. God could take my angry prayers. God could take my emotions, my sadness, my doubt, my hurt. God was okay if I took a minute to figure some things out. And he was with me every step of the way. God can handle it. And through the process, God taught me that it's okay not to be Okay, so often we think that we got to get ourselves together before God so that we're presentable, right? We're like, all right, I'm going to go to church, but, but you know, I'm, I'm just going to sit there. I'm going to, I'm going to rein it all in, you know, and I'm going to be on my best behavior, right? That's not what God wants. God doesn't want you to bring a mask to the altar. He wants you to take your broken, messy, angry, emotional self to his feet. And he wants to have it out with his child. That's what he wants. And that's what we need because you saw King David, right? He wasn't okay, but he knew that the next step was worship. 
Because God knows that when we are hurt, when we are angry, we need healing. And healing is found in the glory of God. Healing is found in worship, right? So often it's so easy to think of worship as just for God, but it's not, right? Because when we worship God, we are aware of his presence. We are aware of his glory. We are surrounded by everything that he is. And that has a profound effect on our soul. We find spiritual healing in the presence and worship of God. David knew it. That's why the first place he went was to worship. When we need healing, we find it in worship. And one of the most powerful acts of worship, which leads to one of the most powerful acts of healing, is worshiping in brokenness. God doesn't want picture-perfect cookie-cutter believers. He wants real people with real problems and real emotions to have it out with him. Right? Because God can take your questions. God can take it all. And he will take you through it. He took me through it. And he can take you through it to the other side. One of the most powerful acts of worship is worshiping in brokenness. And I want to share with you guys a little testimony today. Um, One way that I process my emotions is through songwriting. I started it when I was young. And uh, I'm not really good at talking about how I feel, but I'm a little better at singing about it. And so through this year, as things were getting hard and I was going through these questions and I was going through it, I was in this, this darkness where for the first time I couldn't see the other side. I had finally reached some hurt and some pain that was so thick, I could not see the sun on the other side. I knew it was there, but I couldn't see it. And that was a new place. And so this, this is... Uh, me wrestling through that and uh, I, I titled this song See the Sun and I want to play it for you guys today I try my best to keep my head up high Keep on moving when the storm is passing by. I tell myself tomorrow's a new day. But if I'm being honest with myself, I'm not okay. I'm slowly breaking my faith. Every time 
Guys, I just want to tell you from the other side, it gets better. It's okay not to be okay because you don't stay not okay, right? The Lord is never finished with you. The Lord has never forsaken you. But there are seasons when you're in the dark and you can't see the light, but that doesn't mean the dark has won. So stay and trust in the Lord. Trust that he is working when you can't see it. Trust that he is fighting for you when you can't feel it. Because the Lord never leaves and never forsakes you. So guys, today we have an opportunity. I want to end this service. And there's no pressure, all right? I don't want you to feel obligated at all. But if that's you, if you are going through a season and you have been wearing your mask and you have been fooling everyone or maybe you're barely even holding it together, 
I want to tell you, if you bring your broken self to the altar, right? Take off the mask and just say, God, I'm a mess. I'm angry, but I'm here. Just watch what he will do. We're going to play one more song. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come out and we're going to play one more song. And if that's you, man, just don't leave this room without taking that chance. Don't leave this room wearing the mask. Run to the Father. Lay down your brokenness and your anger and your emotions and your questions because he can take it and we find healing in worship. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today. God, I just pray over this congregation, over these students, over these adults. God, we are a broken people. God, we are broken and we keep breaking. We have hurt. We have insecurities. We have anxieties. God, we have wounds that we don't let heal. God, we are in darkness that we can't see the other side, but that doesn't mean the light's not there. That doesn't mean we won't see the sun again because, God, you are a God of your promises. God, and you promise that if we are real, if we bring our broken mess to you, you will make something beautiful, and that is my prayer tonight. God, I pray courage and boldness over these people, over these students, adults. God, I just pray that nothing stands in the way of a child and their father today. God, I pray for healing. I pray for restoration. I pray for your spirit. Make us aware. Let us feel the weight of your glory tonight. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.